0: Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show as well as fans of music in general. And a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Worzniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. The show website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. I wonder, have you signed up there for the weekly e-newsletter yet? Wow, I mentioned this last week. There are people receiving that here in the U.S., as well as in Canada, Italy, Mexico, the U.K., Switzerland, Australia, Poland, Sweden, Germany, even Costa Rica. So do be sure that you have signed up to receive the newsletter at nhte.net. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New Jersey, my guest is a composer and record producer with over 150 albums to his credit, spanning a 40-year career. He has a million-selling record to his credit and was nominated twice for a Tony Award on Broadway, and he is a winner of the New York Theatre Critics Drama Desk Award. He has had great success in film scoring, Broadway musicals, pop music, gospel, television, and he has even written ballets for the Joffrey Ballet. Late last year, he also launched a podcast, plus he is CEO and co-owner of Watchfire Music. You've been hearing a song of his called White Bird. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Peter Link.
1: Hello, Bruce, and hello, all you people.
0: Peter, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you making time for it. Uh, my
1: pleasure. Thank you for uh, having me on your on your podcast.
0: Sure, and I don't know how we're going to condense a 40-year career into one 45-or-so-minute interview, but we'll do our best. So let's start by having you tell the audience about the song of yours that we were just playing called White Bird.
1: White Bird, yeah. Um, White Bird was written many, uh, actually decades ago. Uh, and re-recorded uh, maybe a couple of years ago uh, on an album of mine called Remnants. Remnants of things that I uh, wrote and never finished or things that I uh, wrote and forgot about and uh, re- decided to redo.
2: Mm.
1: Back in the day, I uh, bought a home in uh, Antigua, and, uh, which is an island off the coast of South America, and uh, would go down there, and spend uh, amazing amounts of time, like go down there for months at a time and write. And it's it's really interesting when you when you're in that. We had a little a little shack on the beach, uh, but it was in a cove that was completely uh, private. And um, I would sit on the beach with my guitar and and uh, and write songs. And I would hear the 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 crickets in the trees and the and the tree frogs and the, uh, the burrows burrowing and 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 just the sounds of the place just infiltrated my brain and uh mm. out would come these uh kind of calypso reggae songs and uh whitebird was one of them uh, i've used it in shows and concerts uh, over the years and uh it's just one of my one of my favorite songs of uh, sitting on the beach and watching the birds fly by.
0: And I like that concept of remnants, as you said, because there are, as we know, a lot of creators who get ideas and they don't get finished, or people say gee, I wish you'd release some of that stuff sometime, or I wish you would finish those songs that you started that you've told me about. And so I, I like the concept, and I appreciate you explaining Whitebird, which is also a fun story to hear and to picture you in Antigua, but that idea of remnants is a really neat concept.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. When you get uh, older in life, you start looking back at your life, and you think, wow, there was a lot of work done. And for the first time i I've, I've come across songs that I wrote, and I can't remember how they go. Mm. And uh, because I've written thousands of songs or thousands of pieces of music. And so sometimes it's a surprise doing that. and the, the great thing about the podcast that I'm doing now is that I've had an opportunity to go back over my entire catalog of music and and pluck from it uh, ideas and that sort of thing.
0: Well, for the audience, I hope you've been listening regularly to Now Hear This Entertainment. And if so, Peter's name should sound familiar to you since I've been plugging his new podcast over a good-sized handful of episodes. And I've got to say that when I listened to the very first episode of Scattershot Symphony, and, and I mean episode one, not the there was a 76 second trailer that was initially released, but in listening to episode one, my gosh, the music in that first episode really, really got my attention Ah. in a good way. I, I was really enjoying it. Peter, what about from your side? How have you enjoyed this new role as a creator and what made you decide to start a podcast? And for that matter, explain also how or why you came up with that title for the show.
1: Okay. Uh, scattershot symphony. Um, Symphony uh, is a musical composition for several movements, and uh, uh, that's what this is. It's a a big, long symphony of a lifetime, and so it's a bunch of different uh, concepts and ideas, taking songs from the past and creating uh, 10 songs in one episode and talking about those songs and uh, exploring concepts around those songs scattershot really comes from a, a very eclectic career uh i've had a career in pop music uh on broadway as you mentioned early on uh, i spent 15 years doing industrial music which is music for corporations and that sort of th- stuff um and looking back uh, i've surprised myself even sometimes by going wow i actually did that i can't <laughs> remember, even almost remember doing that uh but there's just a lot of music out there and so i've i've had uh what i would call a scattershot career mm. it's like taking a shotgun you it, you point it in a certain direction it isn't just all over the place but i spent 15 years uh, uh writing for broadway i was composer in residence at the new york shakespeare festival for five years and did 40 shows there of music uh and um then I I I got tired of the theater and I moved into the studio and and I started producing albums and I produced albums every different kind classical albums and uh, pop albums and and inspirational albums and R and B and and gospel and I just had a, ch- a wonderful opportunity in my career to just do all kinds of stuff which I really love that's 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 part of me I I, uh, I will tell you if. <laughs> When I get up in the morning and it's time to brush my teeth, I open my toothpaste drawer, and in my drawer is about seven different kinds of toothpaste. (laughs) I can't brush my teeth with the same toothpaste two mornings in a row. So that Mm -hmm. kind of tells you about Scattershot, I guess.
0: Yeah, and i like, you know, listeners, if you enjoy the portion of my show every week when the guest talks about their song that we play at the beginning and or their song to play at the end— that's a good idea of what scattershot symphony is and i like peter this idea where you have utilized podcasting to be able to go in with your own songs and do some storytelling and say i'm going to play the whole song for you but i want to tell you a little bit about it first and get the story because nowadays i think someone in your position could easily say well i don't need to do a podcast and play my own music it's all out there already for people to get wherever they get music and with what you're doing it's well, I want to give people the songs that I want to tell them the stories about rather than just hoping and assuming that they're going to go find it somewhere.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, I I really come probably strongest from the theater. I I wrote for the Off-Broadway and then Broadway Theater for about 15 years of my life, and I must have done 50 or 60 different shows. Mm. I did 12 uh, Broadway shows, wrote music for 12 Broadway shows, and what, what theater is is storytelling and so I've always thought I've always known that I was a storyteller if I'm, if, I'm, if I go to a party and and the the uh, conversation gets kind of stupid you know and, and 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 banal I'll always try to find a story to tell and uh, that's uh, that saves me so to speak
0: <laughs>
1: so I, I am a storyteller I, I I started off in New York as an actor so I've I, I worked as an actor for three or four years before I moved into com- composition. And uh, at, when, you, when you're when you an actor, you're a storyteller, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've mentioned things like Broadway, and you just started to mention the beginning of the acting. And I introduced you as calling in from New Jersey. You moved there recently after nearly 40 years in New York City. What had initially brought you to the Big Apple, as they call it?
1: I was in college, and... Uh, I grew up a musician. I, I uh, was a drummer, uh, started at the age of six. And uh, by the time I was in the seventh grade, i was I was playing with college bands, and I, I was a good drummer. my dad was a professional drummer. Hmm. And so I learned from him. and uh, I just I uh, was always into music. When I was in college, I had a rock band and I had a folk group, you know, and I was the student conductor of the choir. At the college, and uh, uh, it just seemed like music was going to be my life, but I had no clue how to get into it. Right, and uh, my senior year in college, I directed a, a, as a special project a, a performance of uh, Carousel, and uh, it was funny when uh, when the we did. Th- 3 sold out nights uh of the show and it was a, a really big success and I just loved doing it. It was just uh I, I found my I found my way there uh, directing it.
0: And what part of the country was this in? This
1: was in uh in the Midwest. Oh. Right? A, a, a small college called Principia College in in the Midwest. Okay. And uh when 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 the show the night the show was over at the kind of closing party, a lady came up to me and she said, you directed this right and i said yeah i did and she said you know i'm from new york city and i'm a big fan of broadway and she said if you directed this you can make it in new york wow well that was a nice compliment to give a college kid right and how and i said i I can (laughs) and she said yeah (laughs) she said you should go to the neighborhood playhouse school of the theater and study with sanford meisner and uh that will help you understand how to direct actors. Mm. And can you believe it? So I did.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> I took her advice. Wow. I, that I went to New. I came to New York. I studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse School of Theater with Sandy Meisner, and I learned uh, how to act. And then when I came out of uh, when I came out of the school, I was very fortunate in that I was the right type at the time for uh, what people were looking for. And I did, that first summer, I did 12 national commercials. Wow. I got a re- recurring role on, uh, a regular role on As the World Turns, which I like to call As the Stomach Turns, <laughs> on, on television. And uh, I did that for a couple of years. And then towards the end of that, I actually wrote a a musical called Salvation, which became a hit, and out of that musical was uh, the first hit song that I had, which has one of the longest titles in the history of the music business. Uh, it was called If You Let Me Make Love to You, Then Why Can't I Touch You, which was a song that was done by Ronnie Dyson, which sold two million copies and um, uh, was number one on the Billboard pop charts. Mm. But before that happened, a year out of school, I went in and auditioned for this new musical called Hair, right? Mm. And it had just opened, and the, the the two leads in it were were moving out to California to open the California production, so they were replacing the two leads. Mm. And I got the role. Wow! So I did I did the lead on Hair in Hair on Broadway. Uh, I only did it for about six months, uh, just because I, I was also doing Salvation. At night, I would do hair, and then I'd go down to the village and direct Salvation, which was opening at the village gate down there. So I was busy. And and by the way, I was also doing the soap opera during the day. So I was exhausted. That's amazing. I was was killing myself.
0: It's it's amazing in the schedule sense, but it's also amazing that you were, I would say quickly, getting so, so much work. So then I wonder... What made you switch careers from from actor to composer? Because, as I said, you were having so much success so early on and you're telling quite a hectic schedule that you had in the acting world.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, uh, I've looked at that many times in my life. Um, I always knew I wasn't I wasn't going to be a great actor. I was just the right type for the time.
0: Mm, Interesting.
1: And I didn't live for the stage. That was really, uh, I, I'll tell you two stories. Uh, one, I didn't live for the stage. And the other thing was, I had a tough time with fame. I, because I was on television every day. And uh, because of hair, because hair is the biggest thing in the universe at the time. Sure. I was famous. I had my uh, 15 minutes of fame, you know, and uh, <laughs> I would come out of Uh, First of all, Hair was on 46th Street in New York. And across the street, Dustin Hoffman was doing Jimmy's Shine. And Dustin Hoffman had just uh, just broken through and done The Graduate. Mm. So he was the biggest thing in America as an actor. And he was there doing that. And then Hair was across the street. And so 46th Street between 8th Avenue and Broadway would fill up with teenage girls every night waiting (laughs) for either the Hair cast to come out or Dustin Hoffman to come out, wow. and uh, they they cord the police cordoned off the street and put the big searchlights in, and, and uh, it was wild. We I would come out of the theater at night, and to these uh, you know the the typical moment that you think about uh, screaming teenage girls mm. chasing after you, trying to do this stupid thing called tearing your clothes off. What <laughs> what is that all about, right? And so I. I, I played a little football when I was in high school, so I'd, I'd run like a fullback through the group, right? Mm. Sometimes I, I would think if I just stopped and stood here and said, okay, go ahead, they would all go, what? <laughs> you know, so, so I would run on down the street about a half a block, and I would turn, I would go through the barriers, and I would go on to 8th Avenue and walk up 8th Avenue because the girls wouldn't follow me out of, 46th Street, right? Hmm. They would chase me down to the end of the block, but 8th Avenue was just 8th Avenue. It was dark, right? And I would go about a quarter of the block down the street and stand and wait for the bus. Hmm. A- and that's fame.
0: Amazing. Right. Amazing.
1: And I saw that. I, I went, this is so weird. I- I'm just standing here. I get on the bus and go home. Huh. Right. And, um, there were times I can remember I'd be walking down the street and, you know, uh, you, you have to have a bout with being famous. It's it's a tough... It's it's not life. It's not life the way it should be. I, I got to the point where I would walk down the street and I needed to be recognized, right? Mm. So I'd look somebody in the face and hope that they'd recognize wow. me because that was like a drug, like getting, yeah. getting a hit on yeah. me, you know? Wow. And so um, I would look at myself and go, what the hell are you doing here with it? What are you doing? Wow. I, I didn't like myself. I just, I was, I was sucked into that, uh, that, that mode. I, I mean, I was like in my mid twenties. So mm. what did I know? Yeah. I, yeah. And I just wasn't comfortable with it. It was, it was a matter of comfortability. And what was the second story? <laughs> the second story. Good. Um, so uh, I work with this wonderful, wonderful talent named Jenny Burton, who I've worked with for 30 years, a singer, a gospel pop uh, R&B singer. And I basically wrote for her and was her producer and developed her concerts for her. And sometimes I would do a concert with her. And one night we were doing a concert in Stanford. She worked with a band called the Other, Jenny Burton and the Other Brothers, and we were on stage, and Jenny and I were doing a duet. And I had my guitar, and I knew the song. I had written it. I was completely on top of the moment. I was standing at the mic, and she was about eight feet to the left of me on another mic. And we were singing this duet. And it was one of those moments where you look out at the audience. Usually you can't see the audience because the lights are so heavy. And, uh, but it was a moment where uh, some, uh, the angle I was at, I could see the audience. And the whole audience was looking at her. <laughs> Mm. And I turned and over to the left and I looked at her. And she was great, man. I just went, Wow! (laughs) Look at the the stuff coming off her was something so special. And I went, Yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. And I quit. Mm. I said, I don't don't want. I'm not a performer. I I, I can do it. Uh, I have a craft, but I don't have that. I don't have that special thing. Yeah, I, I, like, I like being off stage.
0: And at the start of this episode, I actually introduced you as composer and record producer Peter Link, but actually you've also been a stage director, and as you're describing for us, a performer. I just want to have a little fun here. If you could only do one of those four, composer, record producer, stage director, performer— I'm going to ask you which it would be. I think you just told us which one it wouldn't be. But. Yeah, that's right. We've eliminated one.
1: <laughs> as far as stage director, I've always said that I I direct my projects in defense of my projects. <laughs> if I can work with a great director, that's just terrific. But if I can work with a direct if I have to work with a director who uh is is good but uh that I can do better, I'd just rather direct it myself. Mm. Right. So that's the that's the next one I would cut, and when it comes down to the last two, I can't cut either one of them <laughs> because composing music now, especially with the with the technology that we have, I work in Logic, mm-hmm. and uh, the t- technology, you write a song while you're recording it, while you're creating it, and you're orchestrating it and you're still writing it sometimes and it's, it's all one piece really yeah. producing and producing and being the musician uh i have a wonderful studio that i work in uh which is uh, small but mighty and um uh i have been a, a a synthesis for since uh synthesization wow is that a word i don't know <laughs> uh first came out and so i've i've been a a, a techno guy for all these years and um uh, it's a wonderful world that we live in. What we have, the tools we have at our fingertips, are amazing. You know who would have loved to be alive today is uh, Bach, mm. because he was an inventor. I mean, he 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 reinvented the piano. You know, he he would love the technology today.
0: Well, and you probably have watched all of the developments from analog to digital and can probably tell stories about recording on an open reel deck and things like that. That's right. Versus, as you just said now, where you're wearing multiple hats at the same time, being the writer, being the engineer, producing it, playing some instruments, and all from the same seat. Yeah, and I love that. uh, You you know what, Uh, working in in the theater...
1: The musical theater, I think, is one of the most collaborative art forms that there is. A, a lot of different people have to come in and work together. The lighting designer, the set designer, the, the director, the choreographer. And it's tough. It's tough. You you, you you ride the coattails of everybody else. I love collaboration, but it can be a crusher, a disappointment, because one of them doesn't do their job right, mm. and so... The play fails, right? On some level or other. Wow. So the theater, for me, uh, though uh, I had really nice success as a as a composer in the theater. After 15 years of that, <sighs> it got kind of old. It I had I had my hits, I had my misses, and I had my middle of the rotors. And uh, you spend a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of effort working on working and working and working and then uh you know you do a show and like i did a show called the river uh uh uh, that ran off off broadway and got actually 23 out of 25 rave reviews wow it was an absolute hit show and i had directed it and also written the music it was more of a concert piece but it was it was in the theater and the producers made some mistakes, and they didn't have the money to, to run the television ads, and mm. and we opened in the middle of um, one of the worst cold spells of New York uh, back then. It was um, minus two, minus ten degrees every day for two weeks, and so it was at a time when, uh, before the internet, when people had to line up uh, outside the theater to buy tickets, so nobody bought tickets and it closed in two weeks. Wow, wow! And I walked away from that experience going, oh, "Wow, what happened here? It was uh, that was a killer for me. Uh, you yeah, know, that, that was one that was one failure that just was uh, it should have never happened." And so, consequently, I just kind of went, you know, I need to go to a situation now where I'm in more control of my fate. Yeah, and that's what that's what you're into yeah and i
0: and i like the perspective that you gave about the collaboration is great however when there's so many people involved it only takes one person to i don't want to say not do their job but maybe not do their job fully and it affects everyone else so that's that's unique perspective especially in a bigger setting than say a musical act that's a duo or a trio or even a four or five piece band and and it does kind of make you stop and and wonder, is this really something I want to be involved with? I also want to ask, a few weeks ago on episode 369, I was talking with singer, songwriter, guitar player Tiffany Ashton about artists who get painted as, oh, all of their songs are sad, weepy, woe is me, brokenhearted. But Peter, you've been the complete opposite. Rock, pop, R&B, Broadway, gospel, film scores, I know you talked about this before with with the toothpaste, but why so many different kinds of composing genres? I think it was really the theater that
1: got me started. There, um, I got into the theater uh, mostly. Uh, I wrote a couple of shows and a couple of I had a couple of early hits, and, th- and that helped me. That that kind of launched me in a, in a nice way. And then I got this job working at the New York Shakespeare uh, Festival at the Public Theater under Joseph Papp, who was just a heavy, really heavyweight producer, a wonderful man. And I did, I did 40 shows when I was there in the, in the course of five years. Most composers are lucky if they can get two shows on in five years. Mm. Uh, but I just went from th- the public theater in New York, there's about 10 great theaters in, in the institution itself. And I went from a play to musical to this to that, and just uh, just wrote uh, all kinds of music. I wrote Spanish music, and I wrote uh, Russian music. I wrote mm. Russian music for Neil Simon's The Good Doctor, and uh, wow. I wrote uh, music of uh, for Much Ado About Nothing, a, a production of that that was on Broadway that uh, ran for was actually the longest-running Shakespeare ever to run on Broadway at the time. Mm. And uh, that was music from uh, the, Saint, the time of the St. Louis World's Fair in the turn of the century. And so the theater called uh, upon me to write just stuff that I, I would never have thought that I would ever write. I see. Uh, Greek music. I worked with Melina Mercuri uh, on Lysistrata, which we did on in on. On Broadway, and I wrote uh, Greek music, right with uh, bazookies and bazookas and bazooki, <laughs> and um, so the theater opened my eyes, or more so, opened my ears mm-hmm. to different kinds of music, and so I just got into that. I, I worked with Jenny Burton, who is a gospel singer, and uh, I just, I just, in fact, the podcast that we just put up is called "The Gospel Truth." And uh, Jenny does a lot of really great stuff on that. It's really fun. You would enjoy that if you, if you went to it. And I, I asked the question in it. I said, well, how, how does a white guy write this kind of music, right? <laughs> and the answer is because uh, Jenny Burton is an African-American woman and uh, we were married for a, a time and uh, I went to church with her and her, her mom was the minister of the church. And so I sat in that church And listened to that gospel choir Ah. for a couple of years, and I experienced that. And I I, I fell in love with their organist, and wonderful man named uh, Fred Gripper, who was just a great gospel organist. Mm. You know, I lived the music. I I lived the experience. And so, uh, you know, I I didn't have to have black skin to write uh, that music. On the other hand, I I don't consider myself a, a gospel writer.
0: Well, sure, but at the same time, I can picture you as a musician sitting there absorbing all of this, and it's just a part of who you are to say, okay, now that I've experienced this for so long, I can recreate this. And all of a sudden, you do start finding yourself doing gospel music that you otherwise wouldn't have done had you not had that experience, that influence. That's right. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New Jersey by composer, record producer, stage director, and performer Peter Link. We are also going to be hearing about the hat that he wears as CEO and co-owner of Watchfire Music. Visit their website at watchfiremusic.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. You heard Peter talk about his podcast, Scattershot Symphony, On the WatchFire Music website, click into the podcast section for more on that show, including the ability to listen to the episodes right there or utilize links there to get it from various podcast platforms. Plus, you can even get the songs that Peter plays during the Scattershot Symphony episodes in the podcast section of WatchFireMusic.com. There are also links on the WatchFire Music website to find them, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Remember that if you have, or if someone you know has questions, you or they need help with your or their music career, or even with podcasting, I do offer private one-on-one video consultations. My company, Now Here This Incorporated, has been working with artists on their music careers for over 15 years. In fact, there are articles on the homepage of the website about the two newest clients, and of course, I've been doing this podcast every week for more than seven years now. Go to nowhearthis.biz, that's H-E-A-R, Nowhearthis.biz to not only read about those two newest clients, but for the article entitled Video Consultations Now Available, and then use the link in there to get a personal session scheduled with me. Peter, there's something that you were just talking about that I want to go back to, which is you mentioned a show getting 23 out of 25 positive reviews. I want to talk about the the other two in the hypothetical sense of someone who's listening that is a creator, a performer, and they're getting good feedback on what they're doing, and they're getting hung up on the one or two bad reviews that they see somewhere. What is your advice for them on how to deal with that? Because obviously that's part of the business, but at the same time, it opened my eyes when you said twenty-three out of twenty-five. And unfortunately, we know how the ego works, and it is very tempting to get drawn instead to the two.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. Uh handling bad reviews. You know what? Stay centered. Don't get crazy about your great reviews. And then you won't get crazy about your bad reviews. Mm. Wow! As an artist, you have to stick your neck out. It's gonna get chopped off. I used to say with uh, Salvation, uh, which was the first musical I ever did, if somebody doesn't get up and walk out in a huff, I'm not doing my job. Mm. Wow! Theater has to has to nudge people. Not only nudge people, it has to grab them by the shoulders and shake them up. Right? (laughs) Music has to do that too. It, It it's it's okay to be hated by somebody, right? You're raising what is what is what is music? What is music? Music is pure emotion. If you're not stirring the emotions of people in a strong way, you're not really being an artist, right? Yeah, so if you get negative responses, uh, you know, my dad used to say this all the time. He would say, so what? right? So what? just move forward just keep doing it do do what you do and just keep doing it as hard as you can and believe in yourself right yeah yeah but don't get crazy about the great reviews that's the that's the important thing
0: yeah yeah your your head can get as big as it could get stuck in the sand when you see the bad ones if you yeah. pop your chest yeah. out too much when the good ones are coming. While we're kind of on an educational note here, let's do a little something else. In episode one of your podcast, I heard you talk about writing for commercials and you mentioned MasterCard and you you mentioned some other major brands that you did work for and, and you said on that episode of your podcast that you're kind of half kidding about how, oh well, it pays. But can you talk about Since they are paying you, can you talk about how you get motivated to do that kind of writing, the corporate stuff versus something, say, a lot meatier, like your own personal projects that you can really sink your teeth into or, or a Broadway musical? Because I can see how doing something corporate is probably tough to get inspired to do.
1: Well, yes and no. Uh, uh, doing corporate work, and by the way, I never really did commercials. I never, I was never a short form writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm too long-winded for that. Uh, so, uh, I, doing industrials, I I did major industrial shows all over. And a lot of people don't even know what industrial shows are. They're they're uh, a Fortune 500 company will call in all of their sales force together for a three-day weekend at some exotic place at a hotel and so th- there are companies that stage the entire experiences and i would direct these and i would also write all the music for it i would write a theme song for for them right mm. and uh it was great money and i i did that when and i, and I built my studio i had a, a recording studio in in new york for 25 years called West Tracks Recording Studios and I built that studio through the money that I made doing industrials Mm. and I fed my family at the time so when I then had a family I went I got to make more money I got I got to be more solvent uh, on a regular basis so getting into the industrial world for 15 years created quite a nice life for us uh, because there was a lot of money to be made and um You know, at the end of those 15 years, I was at a party one night, and uh, somebody came up to me, an old friend, and said, whatever happened to you? (laughs) And I realized, hmm, I've been working in this vacuum for 15 years. I've been making a lot of money, but I wasn't making a name for myself anymore. Mm. And um, so I, I moved on. I moved into another area, right, where I could be more creative, make less money, but be a lot happier.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And so that that's what it's been for me. Um, you want to eat. yeah. You got to eat. You got to feed your family. So you got you to look at ways to be commercial while you're creating the great stuff.
0: Well, speaking of different types of writing, I understand that you have an idea involving writing musicals for podcasts?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, before the pandemic hit, I had decided to get back into the theater about four years ago and do some more writing for it. And um, I was in the process of working on four or five different musicals, both some with just myself and some with other writers. Uh, I was always the composer and very often the lyricist. And all those musicals were in the process of being developed. And three of them were actually finished. And I was, looking for uh, people to uh, get to producers to uh, introduce those musicals to people and then the pandemic hit mm-hmm. and i went whoa it's going to be a long time before 1500 people get into a broadway theater together again yeah and i went it's time to move to something else right so uh, I just looked at the world what's, what's going on in the world and what's going on in the world right now is podcasting. yeah and what's great about podcasting is if I 'm to write a musical for a podcast, in today's world to do a Broadway musical costs you a hundred million dollars hmm. a hundred million dollars to put on a Broadway musical
0: that's not an exaggeration.
1: No, wow, no, wow. When I did "King of Hearts" in 1978, that was a music, Broadway musical that I did. That was the most expensive Broadway musical to ever be done at that time. It was 2.8 million dollars. Oh my gosh. And in those years, it's gone to over a hundred million dollars for a wow. Broadway show. Wow. So I looked at that and I went, wow. That's that's a really hard area to get into, and, and uh, I'm used to uh, we have we have a we have our own workshop here in my home in in the basement. It's we can we can we manufacture our own records, right? Our own CDs, hmm. and so we're we're a, a, a full service company, so to speak. Watchfire Music,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's great. It's then you're in control of your fate, right? Whereas uh, podcasting. To do a musical as a podcast, you don't have to pay for sets, you don't have to pay for costumes, you don't have to pay for the theater, mm. you don't have to pay for for half wow. the stuff, wow. three quarters of the stuff that you have to pay for. Wow, Actors all over the world are out of work today, they'll do anything mm. for free, right? And they, we can now record them at home. We did one of my musicals as a a radio show because the producer didn't know enough to actually think of it as a podcast. Mm -hmm. He just was coming from another period Mm -hmm. Uh, of a a Western musical of mine called Sundown, which is the uh, musical about the gunfight at the O.K. Corral. And all the actors came in, read their lines from home, Mm. and we edited that all together, and we used the cast album as the music and it went up on WBAI and, and did an hour presentation of the musical, cut down. And I thought, this is, this is crazy. A, a, a radio show that's done once on a Saturday night and we had to cut it to an hour? I, I walked away from that experience and I went, well that was nice, people loved it. But you know what? Podcasting is so much better. It's gonna be up forever. People yeah. can go on to it whenever they want to. They can. Uh, the, the podcasting is really, it's radio reimagined.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: And when I was a kid, I'm 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 old enough to to tell you that I would sit with my brother in front of the radio and listen to The Shadow knows. Yep. And then Superman. And I would shut my eyes and I would be there, boy. I I just love those times. And I think we get back to that now. I think podcasting takes us back to a listening experience. I'm a composer, so listening is very important to me. And I've watched generations go by of people who I don't think really listen that much. They, music is in their life. It's the background to their life. But do they really sit down and listen to music the way we used to?
0: Well, yeah, and for me, it conjures up images of when I was a boy, my father bought a collection of cassettes audio cassettes that were the old time radio shows restored and so i got to hear jack benny by listening to an audio cassette and like you said the shadow and and so many others and i like this idea that you're talking about with why can't a musical be released as a podcast because for those of us that are in podcasting we know that and you have to understand the way i'm saying this but there really are no rules so you really can do kind of whatever you want yeah but You know, I had a guest on one time who said that songwriting, you're writing. He he said every song is essentially a three and a half minute movie for the blind. Mm -hmm. That you do have to create something that they can see visually, and and I agree with you, Peter. That I think that music is so prevalent nowadays. Yet at the same time, people aren't really stopping to have that experience of a three and a half minute movie for the blind and really see in their head what is happening in the song. So I think a musical is a really great way because the audience comes to that knowing, okay, this is a podcast. However, this is a whole production. This is something that I would otherwise see on the stage. And so now I'm going to visualize this as I listen. So listeners, I'm going to encourage you to continue to follow Peter and watch and see if and when this happens so that you can digest those and... Consume the musical or musicals, plural, that he puts out. And and I love, Peter, the way that you have pivoted at different points in your career. I know there was one point I wanted to ask you about in your career. Why did you move to inspirational music for what I understand was a couple of decades?
1: Yeah, actually, I'm still pretty much deeply immersed in that uh you know what it came down to i i've I, one day i just thought well i've written en- enough uh, i want you i need you i love you songs <laughs>
0: uh,
1: uh, <laughs> where do you go from there right and i thought i wish i could write about something a little richer a little deeper mm. than pop music you know and and that's nothing against pop music my god i made my life basically off of pop music but but um Moving into a more inspirational, uh, richer, deeper uh, sense of uh, life was uh, very powerful for me. I also married a woman named Julia Wade, who is a wonderful singer, and uh, came out of the opera world, but moved into more, more of a pop world. That's hard, going from opera to pop. I would call her a classical crossover singer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was able to write for her. And a lot of the times, it depends on who you're writing for, right? That, that, that's the kind of music you make. Uh, for instance, Jenny Burton had a really wonderful career for about 30 years, and so I just wrote a lot of songs for her. With Julia, being married to her, and uh, Julia was the soloist at a major um, a church, an international church in Boston for uh, seven years, she needed a song to sing every every week in that church, and so I just mm-hmm. wrote and wrote wrote. And she's now done fifteen albums
0: wow.
1: that I've that I've produced for her, right? Wow. Of of and and she's she's sold all over the all over the world as and is known as an inspirational uh, cross classical crossover singer.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I like how you said about just get to a point where you say, okay, I've written these love songs. It's very much listeners. If you heard last week's interview, Shane Martin was my guest and Shane was saying, now mind you, his genre is country rock, but even he said, you can only kind of say the same thing so many times. And he basically said, we've all written and sung those songs before. Uh So I think it was one of the songs of his that we played that he was saying, I was trying to find a different way. And so Peter, you're saying that it got to a point where you're saying, okay, I've written all these love songs, like, where can I go from here? Yeah, And and thus the inspirational music. I do want to make sure that I give you an opportunity to tell us all about Watchfire Music. We've kind of talked around it a few times because, wow, Watchfire Music really has quite a bit of services. Yeah,
1: uh, Watchfire Music is uh, 14 years old. Uh, uh, I would write so many songs and uh, I would finish a song and I would always say I throw it over my, my uh, shoulder uh, and, and would land on a shelf somewhere, but nothing would happen to it. Mm. And I finally realized one day, uh, not having a record deal, nor even really wanting a record deal, do it myself. And so uh, I and a, a old buddy uh, created WatchFire Music t- to sell basically inspirational music. My partner and I uh, uh, amicably split and went two different ways. and. Uh, uh, Julia and I were left with the company. She's now the president of the company. I'm the CEO, and we've run this company, which is uh, purely a, a online inspirational music company, uh, for 14 years. We run the whole thing from our home, but it's a big company. It's uh, over 3,000 pages, and we sell over 13,000 products.
0: Mm.
1: We have a virtual staff, so uh, and and everybody on our staff is. Uh, pretty much part-time, we, we just call them when we need them. We work with about 300 different composers and, uh, and recording artists around the world who produce for us uh, not only uh, inspirational sheet music uh, but also inspirational uh, recorded music. We define inspirational as um, a very wide umbrella. It includes sacred, but if I write a song that says "I woke up this morning I feel good that's an inspirational song mm,
0: okay. So it's
1: positive value music it's is it family oriented I don't know that it's family oriented but you could if if you could send your kids to watchfire and you're not going get uh, you're probably not going to get gangster rap or uh, <laughs> all those words that are so prevalent today. <laughs>
0: But clarify something for me, though, because you're saying it's all virtual, and yet people are going to hear this interview, and they're going to go to watchfiremusic.com, and they're going to see Link Recording Studios, and they're going to say, oh, well, I'm in the New York, New Jersey area. Does he have a studio that I can go to? Can he record me? So t- Link Recording Studios, to me, appears as though it's under the Watchfire Music umbrella, or am I wrong? Yeah, Link
1: Recording Studios is a offshoot of, wa- of West Tracks music. When West Tracks closed when I there was a time right after nine eleven 11 when uh, a famous year when 21 recording studios in New York City closed mm. the, 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 the business just stopped and, and we all know that uh, it used to be in order to make an album you had to go into a really good studio and now you can make an album at home if you have the right situation Yeah, and uh, so um, I saw the writing on the wall, so I closed West Tracks, and my son went off to college, and I took his bedroom and made—this was when we lived in New York. I sold off a lot of the equipment, kept the best of it, and and, uh, put it into his room and rebuilt his room, even built a sound booth in his room. Mm. Then we moved to New Jersey, and I did the same thing here. So uh, Link Recording Studios is the place where I work. Honestly, I'm so busy, I don't rent it out anymore. I'm just here all the time.
0: Okay. And the other one I wanted to hear about, and then I'll leave off the other two so that people can go and look for themselves, but I'm interested to hear just briefly about Watchfire Music University.
1: Ah, well, I love to teach. Uh, I've learned a lot in my life, and uh, I I love the idea of passing it on. So uh, I have about 20 students around the world, and I teach on Zoom. Ah. Which, uh which un- unfortunately is uh, not a uh, particularly good uh uh foundation for music in fact it it really sucks <laughs> but uh somebody's got somebody out there has to come up with a better idea for music than than zoom i uh, i hope that will happen soon but uh, that's a that's a i'll get off my soapbox <laughs> now uh, but uh no i i teach uh If you go to Watchfire Music, you can go to Watchfire Music University, right? That's kind of tongue-in-the-cheek. But I teach uh, about 10 different courses. I teach beginner's logic. I teach logic orchestration. Uh. I teach uh, voice. I teach lyric writing, songwriting. Wow. uh, I teach a course called This Business of Music. And I would say uh, I spend maybe a fifth of my time every week uh, on online on Zoom teaching.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to close today with another one of your original songs, one called On My Way Home. Before I let you go, share with the audience all about this song, if you would, please. Uh, here you should
1: picture a man. This is a, like a story song. Uh, you should picture a man who's uh, probably Middle Eastern, maybe, and uh, he's elegant. He's uh, in a beautiful pinstripe suit with beautiful loafers, but the suit is dirty, and the loafers are beat up, and he's an immigrant. And uh, he probably had a family, and uh, something happened there with the government, and he had to get out of the country. And uh, so he became an immigrant, and he's just a he. We think of immigrants as people coming across uh, the in a boat, right? Yeah. Well, that was him, but but he's a he's just a regular guy. In fact, he was a very successful guy, but he's now an immigrant, and so it's his it's his story, as he travels across away from his family, probably coming to the U.S. here to the the hope of his life, right? And we know what that's all about, right? Is it anybody's hope uh, now, right? But, well, we all hope.
0: <laughs> no doubt, sure. no doubt. Well, listeners, as you can hear, Peter is quite a storyteller, and that's why I'm going to again recommend that you go and listen to his podcast, Scattershot Symphony. But in the meantime, Peter, it was wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for the great stories. Thank you for the great insights, and I really appreciate you making time to be on now here this entertainment.
1: Uh, Thank you, Bruce, for all you've done for us. We deeply appreciate being involved with you.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to composer, producer, stage director, and performer Peter Link. You just heard him talk all about WatchFire Music. Their website is watchfiremusic.com, and I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. You've heard us talk about Peter's podcast, Scattershot Symphony, on the Watchfire Music website. Click into the podcast section for more on that show, including the ability to listen to the episodes right there or utilize links there to get it from various podcast platforms. Plus, you can even get the songs that Peter plays during the Scattershot Symphony episodes in the podcast section of WatchfireMusic.com. There are also links on the Watchfire Music website to find them on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. This morning, I myself liked their Facebook page. I followed them on Twitter and Instagram. Please do the same. I'm sure that they would appreciate your doing so. In the meantime, what can I help you with? As I said earlier, if you or someone you know has got questions, you or they need help with your or their music career or even with podcasting, I do offer private one-on-one video consultations. My company, Now Hear This Incorporated, has been working with artists on their music careers for over 15 years. And, of course, I've been doing this podcast every week for more than seven years now. Go to nowhearthis.biz. It's H-E-A-R. Nowhearthis.b-I-Z, as they say in Canada. Read about the two newest clients and look for the article titled Video Consultations Now Available, and then use the link in that article to get a personal session scheduled with me. For now, that will do it for episode 372. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Peter Link. This is the one he just talked about called On My Way Home.
2: Look at this face. Look at these dirty clothes. Look at these worn out shoes. Ah, yes, I'm one of those. Just look at this face. Look at this face. Look at these filthy clothes. Look at these worn out shoes. I come to you by land, by sea foot I come by raft, I come a refugee. I seek your asylum, a cup of your kindness. I come from a place of nothing but blindness. I run for my life, a flight into exile. A fugitive from the heart of darkness. I'm locked in life, yes, a refugee. My future so far unknown I live in a chaos that spans the world I look to find my family I search to find the man I used to be I know so well This road of desperation what little hope that's left in my frail imagination, and I carry my past life in this pack upon my back. I carry my past life, past life in a of sack with all that I've worked for, God, and all that I've fought for all that I've lived for gone Here I am A man of no place Lost out here In space But on my way So no sad what this life can bring. Look at these wasted hands, these hands that have built such things. And look at this heart. this heart, this heart of a worthwhile man. Look at this broken heart. I offer you a man of deeds. A fruitful life I've lived, but now a refugee. I seek your asylum, I seek your compliance, I make you renounce your thoughts of defiance. What I left behind, a life of such promise, a family with its long tradition. But along the way, yes, I've left them. My future so far unknown To live now in peace is my only need Each night before I sleep I ask What wrong I must have done that brought me here The answer to this question, I carry this damning pain of guilt, like a rancorous obsession. And so I run from this past life, from one to the next, confused and disheartened, so perplexed.